tonight, here we go again. Another Fed rate hike and a sneak peek of what they might do next. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. I don't know, Steve, no major surprises today. Kind of what we heard no. from the Federal Reserve, right? Hiking interest rates for now. Another kind of supersized cuts, three, three, or supersized hike, three quarters of a percentage um, was kind of exactly what we were thinking. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my biggest fear was 1%. If it was 1%, it would have rocked markets. There was nothing today that really jumped out and, and surprised me. It, I, I think, and, and markets did not react kindly. I mean, uh, the Dow was up 160 points uh, at 159, and when the announcement was made at 2, uh, it immediately dropped down 200. Go, which, go figure, right? Nothing yeah, yeah. surprising in the announcement, and yet... Here we go. Well, when when Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve opens his mouth, I rarely see things go green on, on market indexes. But but with that said, um, it's kind of reassuring to me that, OK, they kind of told us this is where they were going to be. This is what they did. I think the only reason markets reacted negatively, Amy, is that there's nothing that you can reach out and grab and, and say, yeah, but at least they're going to get better. At least we've got a handle on this. At least, you know, the hopeful thoughts that we had uh, about a month and a half ago of, yeah, they'll, they're leading us to believe they'll be able to start turning rates around sometime in the middle of 2023 and actually drop rates. That wasn't there today. And I, I think... I think investors are really just getting a hard dose of reality. This is serious. It's not something that's going to go away overnight. Well, and I want to talk about the dot plot and something called the terminal rate, right? Because that's not something yeah. we talk about all the time. First of all, the dot plot is simply where every voting member of the Federal Reserve thinks interest rates will go into the future. And this dot plot that was released today went for the first time into 2025, right? The beginning of 2025. So they're saying, looking out into the future based on everything we know today, here's where we think things are going to go. Yeah. They don't They don't put their initials. Yeah. There's no AW next to Amy Wagner's dot, SS next to Steve Sprovac. <laughs> it, so it appears random, but you get a sense of where these members are thinking that things are going to go. And, and the terminal rate is the highest rate at which that dot plot signals that, at least as of now, yeah. they're anticipating that we're going to have to go. Yeah, um, where is that interest rate going to be when they're done hiking? When that, we that's get really to the what point, we're looking yes, at. Yes, when we get to the point where the Fed feels like we've done everything we need to do we need to go no higher and now they're saying that's 4.6 percent right yeah. they think we'll get there next year uh so we can see pretty aggressive hikes right continuing in the near term uh and then also they're saying we don't anticipate lowering rates for possibly another two years yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I give credit to Andy Stout, the chief investment officer of Allworth uh, Financial that we have on every Monday. He said when, when I asked him, is there, is there a change going on with, with uh, the um, Federal Reserve policy? Have they raised the terminal rate? And, and he said, yeah, it kind of looks that way because they were talking, the Federal Reserve was saying they were going to peak out on, on their interest rate hikes when it got up to around three and three quarters to four percent. 
And up until today's announcement, we're we're looking at, yeah, they have changed. Now we are looking at four and a quarter to four and a half. And this dot plot says, no, nah, it's uh, pretty much closer to 4.6. Now, this can change. I, I mean, it really depends, Amy, on what the inflation data looks like when it uh, comes in for September and then obviously October, November. And, and I think as we start to see the inflation data compared to one year ago, well, we're starting to get to the point where the inflation numbers were starting to get pretty high a year ago. So the year over year is actually going to start to to look, I think, a little bit better. So there there's optimism out there. But today, again, this is a hard dose of reality. No, the Federal Reserve is saying we're going to have to uh, uh, raise uh, interest rates a little bit higher. We're not going to stop till we get up into the mid 4% range. Um, I'm just happy there was no big negative surprise of 1% or anything like that. I look at these numbers and I actually really hope that they're right. I hope that we don't have to go any higher than 4.6%. I mean, we, we always like to provide historical perspective yeah. here. And yeah. one of the things I've kind of been looking into and researching is the fact that often, in order to bring the inflation rate down, the Fed funds rate has to be higher than the inflation rate, right? That's that's the thought process, yep. Yes, and yep. we are, I mean, keep in mind, the current inflation rate is right, right around 8%, right? Yeah. So we are still very, you know, far south of that. And so are we going to have to continue hiking? You know, and I think the Federal Reserve is looking at, are these set of economic circumstances that we're in right now different, right, from what yeah, has had to yeah. happen in the past? And I think they're very hopeful based on these projections that they are. Um, but yeah, we are still below the current inflation rate with the federal funds rate. And it will be really interesting to see, okay, is this enough? Will this be enough? Will these continued rate hikes uh, be enough, this aggressive path or are we going to have to keep go north of where that inflation rate lies and, and and that would be not a very pretty place you're listening to simply money here on 55 krc it is a big day in the world of the fed and the american economy as we digest uh tonight what happened today the federal reserve no surprises hiking the fed funds rate which is of course just the rate that banks charge each other to uh, loan money overnight by three quarters of a percentage point and then of course you can see the ripple effects after that in short order mortgage rates go up the amounts of you have to pay on your credit card if you don't have your credit card paid off. If you're going to uh, take out a loan on a car, all of those things in short order will follow and get higher as well. Yeah, and and there's uh, we're, what we're starting to see are some forecasts showing the slowdown in the economy because the Fed is taking this seriously, Amy. I, I mean, right now the, the jobless rate is about 3.7 percent. The Fed today said they're forecasting the jobless rate to be as high as 4.4% in 2023. They've been saying all along, we've got to have a little bit of pain. This, this job market is so robust that until we can slow the economy down, we're not going to have a lot of success bringing inflation under control. Well, they're tied By, together, right? They, they I mean, are. Inflation yeah. and the job market are tied together and inextricably. I mean, so yeah. when when you try to pull inflation down, right, then businesses who, of course, employ all these workers, it's more expensive for them to borrow money to do the things that they need to do. And as the economy slows down, right, workers are laid off uh, and it becomes this cycle. So in yeah. order to, right, as you raise the Fed funds rate, you can also expect that to impact the job market. I think the problem with the Fed sees right now is, 
they have done one and it has been devoid of the other, right? They haven't seen yeah. the reaction that they're expecting. Well, we've been saying from the get-go, there's a good six, maybe as long as 12-month lag between what the Fed is doing, the, the increase in interest rates that they do today, we don't see an economic impact on that for at least six months. So they, they started raising rates several months ago, and, and okay, now maybe we'll start seeing the impact. Um, the immediate impact that I saw was the real estate market. I, I mean, we just got numbers that this is the seven, seventh month in a row that real estate sales are down because mortgage rates, ex yeah. they're back up over 6%. So that market just, boom, you know, that, that was stopped dead in its tracks or, or slowed down dead in its tracks. But the rest of the economy, it takes time for, for the impact of higher interest rates to filter through. And the Federal Reserve really doesn't have any other tools to, to slow the economy down. So, you know, with this lag, we're looking at forecasts of a slowdown in the economy. And based on today's data, it looks like we may start getting some traction. But I'll tell you what, Amy, we've got to see September's numbers and October's numbers uh, have some slowdown showing in the economy or else the Fed is going to be forced to, to continue to raise rates at a, at a pretty good clip. Luckily, we get a reprieve. They don't meet again till November. So take the month of October off. We, we yes. can just relax a little bit and see what happens with, with you know what are the new numbers looking like like what are what are the inflation numbers for September when they come out about the second week of an Octo of October and we will not see the Fed meet again until November 2nd Nothing politically charged about that, right? Just oh, right a week before, before the midterms. <laughs> right before <laughs> yeah. the midterm yeah. election. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's a, a deep, long history here of the Federal Reserve saying we are divorced from politics. Well, you know, we'll find out in November We 2nd. will definitely <laughs> see how that plays out. Here's what the Fed's goal is, of course, getting inflation under control. But they hope to have headline inflation down to 5.4% by the end of this year, 6.3% in August. And then they say, OK, if we continue on this path, kind of where the dot plot maps us out to go, which appears to be way more aggressive than we would have thought yeah. even just back just in March. Just a couple months ago. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they say if we continue on this path, they do feel like inflation will fall back to 2%, which is the goal here by 2025. So we will certainly keep an eye on that. Here's the Simply Money point. Just expect market volatility to continue until there is clarity on the impact these rate hikes are having on the inflation rate. No major surprises today. Coming up next, applications for adjustable rate mortgages way up. Are we headed down the same road as 2008? Why, the answer is absolutely not. And why you might want to actually take advantage. We'll get into that next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, we'll subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money. You'll find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight ahead at 643, are you saving too much for retirement? Why in the world would we ever even pose such a question? We'll explain coming up. All right, so we've heard it all, right? And, and just when we thought the headlines could not get any worse. Uh, we ran across one in Market Watch. The story isn't buried somewhere down the page. It is right at the top. And, and the headline makes it sound like um, it's a, this is the missing link, right, <laughs> to explain why stock markets are down in September. Okay, well, I'm thinking, gosh, there's a lot of reasons why markets are down yeah, right now, you yeah, know? Cor corporate profits, uh, you know, economic cycles. Uh, Inflation, uh, yeah, Fed yeah, hiking interest. No. 
streets. No, apparently, and and this is this is a study done by four different universities, and the reason they concluded the stock market is down in September, seasonal affective disorder. People are just depressed. It, it, it it's it, we're getting past summertime. You're not feeling it, and, and that's why you're pulling money out of the market. It, it, it's one of the more ridiculous stories I ever heard. But you know what, Amy? When I dove into it they actually make a little bit of a reasonable argument. They make a little bit of a reasonable... I think my problem with it is the headline, right? The yeah. missing link as to why the markets are down. I can guarantee you, and I'm not an expert on any of these things, but there are much larger reasons at play <laughs> you think? right now with why the markets are down than the fact that, I mean, I think a lot of people are like, whatever, seasonal affective disorder. That's like December, January, right? When it's gray and cold. Yes, but this article cites the fact that the transition from August to September has more people saying, hmm, I feel fine in August, and they feel a little different, a little off, a little more sad. I think seasonal yeah. affective disorder kicks in a little bit more in September. It is that transition that they are saying is leading to people making different choices about their money being invested in the stock market. I'm not saying that they don't lay out a reasonable argument for this. I'm just calling like the BS flag on this one. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those things that I, I'm sure you can make a correlation of, hey, Tuesdays are good for stocks. You know, uh, right. there, there are different things. People can... who wear purple on yeah. Saturdays have better stock market returns in even numbered years. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you exactly. Can make an argument for I, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder how much of this is, is, OK, let's come up with a conclusion and then let's move the data in to make that conclusion sound reasonable. They say they pulled out all other all other data points that are more economically uh, related to stocks going up and down. Um, and, and I I question that a whole heck of a lot. But then they 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 ran the study for Australia. Yeah. And guess guess what? It was exactly six months different. And that made me go, hmm, OK, maybe it is a little bit more than a total coincidence. But I, I I'm sorry when when I, I get people determine what they want to do regarding buying and selling and putting money in and taking money out. But there is so much more money being conducted in and out of the market on algorithms and program trading. I, I'm not sure that individuals play all that much part into something like this. And if this like rings true for you, right? If you are making decisions based on like which months you're happier and sadder, <laughs> please, up, please buttercup. do me a favor. <laughs> work with a financial advisor that can talk you out of making these really, really bad decisions with your money because, oh my goodness. Anyway, that was a headline we were like, we just have to call this one out on the show because it is just so I'm feeling bad. down. I think I'm going to pull everything out of the <laughs> yes. market. Come on. Don't ever, ever, <laughs> ever do that. And the fact that Market Watch, like, uh, you know, I was telling someone else about it and they were like, oh, did you see that on Facebook somewhere? No, actually, Market, Market Watch. Watch. Yeah. It was the largest headline yesterday on the day, of course, at the Federal Reserve's like first day of meetings. Seems like maybe there was something else more pertinent. Anyway, I will I will move off my soapbox for, to talk about the housing market because, of course, yeah. it has slowed significantly. I mean, so fast, I think that probably a lot of people have whiplash, right? Overnight, we essentially doubled mortgage rates. And because of that, there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out, okay, maybe there's not as much competition out there. So if I want to still buy a house, how can I make this work? Because uh, let's face it, I'm going to have to pay a lot more. And adjustable rate mortgages are starting to become more popular right now. 
Yeah, and I'm old enough to remember when they first came out, because with our first house, uh, this would have been about 1984, I guess, uh, we did an adjustable rate mortgage, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not a big fan. Um, if you know exactly what you're doing, they can work for you, but... Be really careful. Here's the reason. First of all, Amy, people are flocking to them. If you're buying a $300,000 home on a 30-year fixed loan, when those rates were 3%, and that was only a couple months ago, your monthly payment was $1,250. We just broke 6%. Yeah. And at 6%, the exact same mortgage is 1800 bucks. I mean, that's 550 bucks more each and every month. So when that happens, I mean, you're going to take a hard look at what else you got. You know, what, yeah. what, okay, what is this adjustable rate mortgage and the devil's in the details? Yeah, devil's in the details. One bank is offering, um, so for five years, right, it's locked in. And I think for a lot of people, you're like, oh, five years, you know, like, yeah. don't have to worry about it. Great. 5.25%, uh, something like that. That's better than what we're looking at, better than certainly it could end up being a month from now. The problem is where it goes five years from now, right? Exactly. What kind of financial situation are you going to be in? where who knows where rates will be then and you've got no control over the situation at that point where it's going the reason why i think some people are having kind of very negative flashbacks is because this is a lot of what contributed to the entire housing market collapse, right? Yeah. Of 2008, people were buying homes that they absolutely couldn't afford and once those adjustable rate mortgages started to adjust they couldn't they couldn't make ends meet anymore. Yeah, and when you look into it, at first they seem attractive. And, and you know, if it's a five-year fixed rate and it's lower than a 30-year and you fully plan on paying off that mortgage in less than five years, okay, I, I could argue that. I know somebody that's actually doing that. He's retiring in three more years that's and he got impressive. a better rate on the arm. And, and, but how and, many people pay off a mortgage in less exactly. than five years? Exactly, and that's the problem. And they all have, and when I say the devil's in the details, you got to look at the adjustments. What's it based on? What interest rate? so that you know, okay, if that's the interest rate uh, that it's based on, or that's, you know, if it's on LIBOR, what is LIBOR? When, what is the current rate on that? How much does it tend to go up? You need to understand that stuff before you sign papers for, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 mortgage. So usually there's a uh, a um, uh, annual adjustment. Sometimes it's every three years, but there's an adjustment that's usually capped at one or two percent. So, in other words, you've got a five and a quarter percent. A year from now, it adjusts, and it may only be able to adjust one percent up or two percent up. But you need to know that. And generally, there's a cap, no more than five percent over the life of the loan. If you understand that, go in with eyes wide open, and it still makes sense for you. Okay. But I, I, I fear most people don't understand it. And these, these mortgages account for about 10% of the mortgages being issued right now. So a lot of people are using them. One thing that is different, right, this time around, that is but to the good side of this, is that homeowners have so much more equity in our homes now, right? Yeah. Still very low supply. Home equity has increased by close to 30% in the last year. 63% of those in the U.S. with a mortgage have an average $60,000 of equity in our homes. I mean, people were buying homes before they had zero equity. It, it, was, it was an absolute right. mess. And as we have seen uh, in the lending industry, right, much stricter, tighter regulations on who can get loans. Because of that, what we're seeing is that actually arms people who are getting these adjustable rate mortgages. First of all, they're more regulated. You have to have 20% down 
in yeah. most cases. Not like the uh, old days. And yes, that's a good exactly. Thing. Where, where literally you could fog a mirror. Sure, we'll give you an arm for this $600,000 house, right? I mean, yeah. what could possibly go wrong there? Well, now we're seeing people who have to have the foresight to have 20% that they can put down, right? And that probably kind of automatically lends itself to a different kind of buyer. Um, and then at the same time, you have um, people who often have higher income. So just go into this with eyes wide open, read the fine print. Here's the Simply Money point. If the timing is right for you to buy a home, always make sure you can afford it regardless of what the numbers say today, especially especially with these adjustable rate mortgages. Coming up next, the benefits of being a financially fit employee. We'll tell you what that means. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You go to work every day, right? The daily grind. You probably know what some of your benefits are as far as paid time off and maybe insurance, but does that company provide anything when it comes to financial wellness? Joining us tonight is Al Riddick, good friend of ours, of course. He's the president of Game Time Budgeting. Also, there are companies out there that actually offer some sort of financial wellness programs to employees, and I bet most of us don't even know about them. That is so, so true, unfortunately, Amy. And it's it's kind of like this. When you are an employee of a corporation, you want to take advantage of all that they have to offer. Of so course. when it comes so, so definitely. So when it comes to your financial wellness, first of all, look at it like this. You are getting paid to make sure that you have the right mindset, behaviors, and systems in place with money. So if your employer is offering up a program that will allow you to enhance your skill set in what I consider to be one of the least mastered topics, which is personal finance, you should definitely take advantage of that. And what do these often look like, right? What what kind of form are, do they come in? How do we know about them? So first of all, uh, if you are already employed or pursuing a new job, even in the interviewing process or once you uh, start learning about your employee benefits, you can always look at your company's portal to see what is available to you. So typically you will see some type of button or icon that says financial wellness. So once you click on that button, you might start to see things about how to create a budget, how to pay down debt, how to uh, make sure you're planning appropriately for retirement, how to save for college, how to um, how to go about the car buying process. There are tons of topics, Amy, but if individuals don't click on their employee benefits portal and start to peruse some of that information, you might be sitting on a pot of gold that you don't even know about because you haven't taken time to investigate what is at your disposal. So the first step there is to just seek it out, right? Research what's available to you. Ali, I want to talk about, though, from an em uh, employer's perspective. If you are listening and this is not something that you offer to your employees, what's the benefit? Is there a benefit to employers in offering this to their the people who work for them? So the biggest benefit, first of all, is reducing cost. Now, Amy, I'm sure you can, you probably know tons of people that own companies and cost containment or cost uh, reduction is a yes. big plus, right? Sure. So when we talk about employee financial wellness and reducing cost, this cost, so far as employee stress, comes in the form of lost productivity costs. Mm. So let me give you a quick example, Amy. So I recently did a workshop with an insurance company and it was with their sales team for two particular states. So it was 15 people who answered 
a survey basically stating how much time they spent at work trying to resolve personal financial issues. Oh, yeah. So, so get this, Amy, because I was told the average salary range, I figured out that it was costing that particular region $187,000 in lost productivity just for those 15 people to experience financial stress. Now, wow. I don't know about you, but that's like you could afford to hire a new employee to go drive more revenue, but nobody's tracking these types of things, unfortunately. But, uh, but just to give you another example, in addition to reducing lost productivity costs, you're probably going to experience better engagement, higher retention rates, better focus among your employees, and they're going to be less stressed as well. Why? Simply because they are now learning how to better manage money. Well, I think when you say lost productivity, of course, you get people's attention. But when you put dollars and cents behind it, actually how much of it, then then people are really paying attention. I want to go back to employees and talk about, listen, if you're thinking about financial wellness, maybe this is even a, a topic or a concept you've never even considered before. You kind of talk about it as a, a journey. Talk about how that is a journey. So financial wellness to me is a journey because we have to start like everything else in life, Amy, at the beginning. So what does that look like? Like, what are some of those thoughts and behaviors that you learned as a child about money that now come into play as an adult? Because everything we learn about money is not really the truth. And I'll give you a quick example, Amy. When I was growing up, right, <laughs> I literally thought that if someone drove a BMW or Mercedes Benz, that meant they were rich. Now, obviously, you cannot go through life with that type of mentality. That just means they have a higher car payment than you do, right? That's what it means. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I always say step one, you have to come to your real truth about personal finance and how you relate to money. Step two, you have to learn what is it that you value in life? Because for a lot of us, Amy, we think that we value things that we really don't. And let me break that down even further. A lot of us live a life based on how we want other people to perceive us, but not based on the things that we actually value. Is that making sense, Amy? It makes a hundred, especially if you think about social media and how people <laughs> present themselves and compare themselves to other people on social media. I think it makes perfect sense. Exactly. That's so true. And then once you get down to what you value, let's put that with, with some numbers, so to speak. So obviously, you know how much money is coming into your household, but I always dare people to actually categorize how they want that money to behave. So if you know that X amount of money is going toward your mortgage or your rent, go ahead and allocate that money there. And of course, go through all of your expenses. But now that we know what you value, if you like to travel, how much money can you put towards your travel account on a monthly basis so that when it's time to take that vacation, you don't have to finance it with a credit card. And if I could mention one more thing, Amy, once you understand what you value, don't forget to track your expenses on a routine basis, because for some people, when we hear the word budget or creating a spending plan, you know, we start to tense up or it makes us anxious. However, if you can't or if you don't track your expenses on a day to day basis, how in the world can you keep score in this personal finance game that we're all playing? And that's a great point. And I also want to just tackle one more thing really quickly. Um, 
I always think about, okay, what are the boundaries, right, for between that would keep someone from taking advantage of, you know, financial wellness information at work. And I think for some people, there's this concept of separation of church and state, right? Like, I don't want anyone in my company to know anything about my financial situation. And if I'm taking advantage of these materials, are they going to know that I have debt? Are they they going to ask for information from me in order? And I want to talk through that. Is there any kind of anticipation that there would be a sharing of information or is this simply just like reading something online so it i think it does depend on the company but i will say this because obviously there are thousands of thousands of corporations in america but a lot of times with these personal finance or financial wellness um corporations so to speak there is a certain level of 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 privacy involved with your respective financial coach because obviously um let's just say let's say you have a consumer products company right they are not in the business of financial wellness however they may have partnered with a corporation that does provide this service so typically there is a certain level of privacy between you and your assigned coach and even with the uh, like the online um uh, materials that they may provide this is these are things that you can follow or courses that you can take that are created in in a way so that you can get out of them what you need to enhance your financial life if that's if that's making sense Makes perfect sense. So if you have been working for a company for years or recently made a switch or thinking about making a switch, do the research, right? Figure out if that company provides financial wellness information, take advantage of it. Nine times out of 10, you will learn something that you can apply to your life that will help you. Of course, great insights as always from Al Riddick, president of Game Time Budgeting. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Spovak. Straight ahead, the crazy things that you would not believe that people are actually returning to Amazon. We will explain. You're saving too much for retirement, right? Said almost no one ever, but actually... I think it happens more often than people would think, especially, I think, here in the Cincinnati area, and maybe it's just because I grew up here, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm half Wagner, half Fassbender. I have German roots, and <laughs> we are known to be um, somewhat conservative with our money, right? Savers more than spenders, um, which my children, of course, love very much. But I think in this area, we tend to have a lot of people who nose to the grindstone, work and save, work and save, work and save, right? I, I, I grew up in a, a family and a neighborhood where people put the stickers kept the stickers on their car when they bought it just so everybody can see what they paid for it and (laughs) you know it's it's like if you didn't have at least two mortgages you weren't keeping up and and I I I love that attitude of um you know let's uh let's be good savers I'll disagree I I I don't think you can save too much I I mean you know having good Ha- savings habits and having more than maybe you need is not the the worst thing in the world. I mean, you know, the worst case scenario is, okay, uh, your kids inherit it more than they thought. But I, I see it on a regular basis where, you know, I'll run a, a plan for somebody, Amy, and they, they just don't believe that they may be giving their kids two or three million dollars. And, you know, when you look at the, the dollars and cents coming in and going out, some people are just really, really good at saving, and, and it's almost scary. Well, on the flip side, right, yeah. I, I, I've heard many horror stories of people who worked really hard and saved really hard and said, oh, I'm not going to travel now. I'm saving my money. I'm working. I'm putting in my time. And once right. I get to retire, and then 
something health happens with their health, right? Yeah. And they're yeah. gone. And it's like, oh, they never enjoyed their money. So yeah. I'm not necessarily saying that you can save too much, but I am saying that there is a happy medium, a balance between saving your money for later and also enjoying it now. There is a now famous um uh, investor, right, that we work with here at Allworth, who once, once he retired, once the, it was a couple, once they retired, uh, we said to them, hey, uh, you've got money to spend. Like, we know you like to travel. You like to go to the beach once a year. You can afford to fly first class. And at first yeah. I was like, oh, no, I don't what know. A waste we of money. Yeah. Ran the numbers, ran the numbers. Yeah. Look, you can afford this. Okay. So a couple of years go by and they're starting to, you know, fly first class pretty regularly. Then they call back. Hey, we thought about chartering a plane for our family. And it's like, okay. We created a monster. Dial that back. Dial that back yeah. a little bit. But it is difficult for a lot of people to flip that switch from yeah. uh, saving all the time to spending. And uh, there are certainly people who spend way too much, right, when, in yeah. your working years and don't have enough in savings. But there are people, um, and we do talk to them. We do see them who um, have a difficult time spending money after they've been saving it for so long yeah and by, by the way that person is the exception I have found it very difficult to turn a saver into a spender in yeah. retirement or at any stage in life but you know this is interesting they, uh, there was a pretty pretty big study done recently by the Center for Retirement Research uh, at Boston College and they came up with a shocking conclusion that people tend to reduce spending as they age Shocker. I, I mean, I've done this for 40 years, and here's one of the rules. First of all, if you're not spending more than you thought you were going to spend in the first two years of retirement, you're doing it wrong. I mean, yeah. you're supposed to enjoy life while you're healthy. And Which is eye-opening. Why yeah. do you think it is that so many people go into retirement thinking, I'm going to spend less, right? Because you're not commuting anymore? That doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. And there's some, they're called rules of thumb. And I think they're, they're just, they're stupid. I, I mean, I've seen, I, I've seen, yeah, I, I've seen one rule, uh, supposedly, uh, that you're, you only need 70% of your income in retirement. I find that a lot of people spend as much in retirement as they were spending before retirement. Yeah, cut out buying a new suit or a new new outfit for, for work or, you know, the commuting expense. But that's about it. I, I mean, you actually have more time on your hands, so you might play a few extra rounds of golf. You may travel more. And I, I think that people, when they, they prepare for retirement they when, and put together a budget, how much do we spend, they they try to, they try tend to cut things out. Well, we don't need Netflix in retirement. We don't need this. We don't need that. We'll, we'll keep our spending at this level so that they feel some comfort. And then they keep doing what they were doing before they retired and spend more than they expect and take that trip that they were putting off when they didn't have time. So conclusion number one is if you spend a little bit more the first two years of retirement, that's okay. Yeah. But conclusion number two is... I have found over 40 years that people slow down when they get in their late 70s and into their 80s. Even if their health is fantastic, they just don't go out as much. They don't spend as much. And most financial plans, mine included, assume a steady increasing with inflation rate of spending. And, and uh, that's good if you still have money left over, uh, assuming that you continue to increase your spending. But most people don't. Yeah, not the reality. No. I think it goes back to the balance, right? You 
want to yeah. save and you absolutely do not want to be one of those people that, that so many fear when you get to retirement, which is outliving your money, right? You want to be able to sleep well at night knowing that you're good and taken care of and you can do what you need to do. And especially in your later years that you can afford doctors or medication yeah. or whatever it is that you need to treat if you have health issues at the same time, um, you know, enjoying retirement those first few years. Uh, spending time with the grandkids, traveling, whatever it is. Um, so I think planning ahead for that, what that will look like. And I'm a huge fan, as you know, of open, honest communication, figuring out with your spouse, right? What's this going <laughs> to look like to the us? nth degree? Yes. To the, <laughs> I know my, my husband and my kids are like, oh, we have to talk about this again. There are no secrets when it comes to money in our house, for sure. Here's the Simply Money point. Saving for retirement can help make your golden years certainly more enjoyable, but just don't forget to also enjoy life now, right? There is absolutely a balance there. So did you know you can return Amazon purchases at places like Whole Foods and Kohl's? Wait till you hear the kind of things people are returning to those places that has actually caught the workers completely off guard. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. We are the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Okay, so if you ever return an Amazon purchase, you know, to somewhere like Kohl's, Whole Foods, UPS, you know, it's super convenient. I've, I've done it, uh, you know, I've done I it I didn't before. even know those, those were options. Well, I knew Kohl's did it several years yeah. ago because they were trying to get more foot traffic into the store. Um, but it's super easy. We've got a UPS by us, and I just print out the label and take it in with the box. Apparently, though, you can even take it back, like, as it is, and they'll just kind of figure it out for you, um, especially <laughs> at Kohl's. But the kinds of weird things, first of all, that people are buying and returning, and I'm sure these workers probably feel like they have seen everything possible at this point. But hey, you're someone who loves cars, restoring cars. So I guess there was a guy who was restoring um, a Corvette, and he had 51 auto parts that he ended up not needing. <laughs> and all at once took them. Can you imagine being like, what no. am I supposed to do? How do you even get it in? By the way, when you take it to Kohl's, they're very smart about this. You can't return it in the front of the store. It is a very back corner. So you have to walk past the everything walk else shame. in the store <laughs> to get to it. So I'm, I don't even, I'd love to see pictures of this guy returning 51 auto parts to Kohl's. And, and, uh, I, I'm that person that never returns something. If I order something and it's not quite what I need, I my attitude is that's on me. It's not their screw yeah. up. Why should they have to deal with my inability to to know what I need? But a lot of people don't share that. There was somebody and figures it's in, in Florida. No comment. Um, but there was somebody who returned a vacuum that they had used and still had crap in it. Yes. <laughs> Come on. Also in Florida, in do? Orlando. Put it back on the shelf? <laughs> yes. In Orlando, of course, people return strollers, car seats and yeah. wheelchairs. I mean, talk about working the system here. I live somewhere else. I'm going to order this, have it delivered to Orlando, use it to go yeah. through Disney with my kids, yeah. and then return it to Kohl's. Um, like, that's just not right. No, one and done doesn't work. I, I, if, yeah, I would rent a stroller. I wouldn't buy it and return it so it was a freebie. That's, I, to me, that's just wrong. You know, it, 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 I, it's not me. Sorry. One in five e-commerce orders were sent back last year. I mean, and we're talking about mattresses, lawnmowers, tires, gallons of motor oil. It, even this was returned at one of these stores, a used bidet. I, I, I don't even know who thinks to, first of all, order these <laughs> things online, use them, and then return them. However... Amazon does have a place where you can turn, and this is not for used items, but actually 
overstock yeah. items. And, and these are like really good name brand electronics and clothing and things like that. So if you've never been to the Amazon outlet tab, right, in the store that's within Amazon, uh, that definitely is deals. worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, especially kind of going into the holiday season with supply chain issues, that is a good place to turn to. Just remember, don't buy something that you don't need. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.